I'm pretty excited about preaching this uh, this, this morning. Uh, I kind of, uh, all week long, I thought about what I wanted to do, and so Friday evening and Saturday morning, I went a little bit different direction, but I want you to look at the title of the message. Uh, I hope you've got it open, and I hope, hope you've got it in Matthew 21, because Matthew 21 is not in your deal this time, because I didn't have room for it, and there'll be another scripture you need to look up. So Matthew 21, you've got your Bible open, you've got your your, your outline there, are Pablo, we up? And the title of the message is Cleansing the Temple, and, and I could say for a purpose, Cleansing the Temple for Revival and Awakening. All right? That's why we want to keep this place clean. Uh, as best we can, keep sin out of here. So this can be a place that church folks can be revived, and that lost folks can be saved. So that's what we're looking at this week. So we began chapter 21 with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and a multitude of people praising Him. We've taken two weeks to look at this scripture uh, in relation to the cleansing of the temple. And today we're going to see how this cleansing applies to us personally and to the body of believers that assembles together. We've got two temples to take care of. Y'all with me? This is it. Look. You've got to take care of the temple, uh, which is your body, that the Holy Spirit lives in. And and just, just realize that whatever you unite your body with, you're uniting the Holy Spirit of God with. Whatever you take in through here and through here, you are exposing it to the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you if you're a Christian. So we need to keep this temple clean. Now, I will tell you, and I was so glad I read, this, I read it this week, the blood of Jesus is continually cleansing you, okay, whether you know it or not. But sometimes He convicts us of things that we know that we've sinned and we need to ask Him for forgiveness and apply that blood to us. Okay? And then we have this temple. And some of you don't know it, but there are some ladies and some guys that do a great job of physically taking care of this temple. But we also have to take care of this temple spiritually. And I, I am so thankful that, that, that when we have looked at this, uh, this time, and we've talked about Jesus coming in and running out the money, ch- uh, the, the money changers and the sellers and the buyers, we've looked at it from, a, from the point of view of what Jesus is doing spiritually. <clears throat> we have read of Jesus driving the buyers and sellers out of the temple. We have witnessed the lame and the blind entering and being healed by Jesus. So, are y'all kind of with me yet? Okay, so, the first thing he does is run out the buyers and the sellers. The next thing that happens is the lame and the blind enter. Y'all getting that connection? As long as the temple was somewhat compromised in the commercialization 
of the temple, the lame and the blind that needed to be there weren't welcome there. But once that was taken out, look who entered in. Those that entered in were the ones that needed to enter in. And what happens is this all gives testimony to this assembling place and that assembling place having become a house of prayer. Remember he said you made it a den of robbers, but I want it to be a house of prayer. Listen, we need to be praying for the spiritually lame and the blind. Thank you. We came out of the darkness and into the light. So during this time, every night we saw Jesus going back to Bethany for the night to get away from the crowd. Now, I think you have these in your notes. Five things we've been to look at. Okay, so now I think these are important. And and I, I, I pray that you'd take them to heart. There's a need to keep the assembly of the church clean. Physically, but especially spiritually. To keep the temple of God, which is our bodies, cleansed. Uh, it would be great to keep it cleaned physically, that we not put anything in it that's not good for it. But we really need to keep it clean spiritually. Because here's what you got to know every day. Uh, you remember he told Peter, you don't need to be washed all again. You just need to be, you just need to have your feet washed. You remember when he didn't want Jesus to wash his feet? I want you to know when you go out in the world, the world is contaminating you. Every day. So there needs to be a cleansing. You need to protect yourself, but there needs to be a cleansing. Number three, that the temple, the assembling place, and our bodies should be houses of prayer. We should be people of prayer, and this church should be a church known for being a praying church. Number four, when that is what we become... When that is what we're about, prayer, those that need spiritual life and are, and are healing are free to come for their spiritual needs and we won't be a hindrance. When, when people come in here, we want there to be such a freedom of the Spirit of God that the Spirit of God gets all over them when they come in here. And we ought to, we ought to wish that if we don't come in here in a proper way, that same Spirit gets all over us. And last week, we should never be critical of those praising and honoring the Lord Jesus. Never. Regardless of how they may do it. So, let's quickly take up the text again. The cleansing of the temple, verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple, drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. This is a, this is a pretty demonstrative act by the Lord Jesus Christ. This was just a tad out of his nature, wouldn't you say? He was, he was stirred up. Jesus entered the courtyard area, drove out the buyer and the sellers, The temple area was not to be profaned with commercialization. This place is not to be be profaned with commercialization. The place of the assembly is to be separated from the common. 
This, this place ought to be a tad different from the world. This is a place for soul work to take place. Verse 13, he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. So what was it supposed to be? A house of prayer. What had it become? A place that people were being taken advantage of financially. It shall be called a house of prayer. Verse 14, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Wow. I, I want us to be known as a house of prayer. I want us to be in a place where the known, lame, and blind spiritually come and are healed. Don't you? Aren't you glad that uh, there's just enough differences among us from uh, people groups to languages to education uh, to finances? All kinds of differences among us but yet God is still able to bring us together. And I want to tell you, that is a blessing. And, and for the most part, when people come in who are lame and blind and need healing, they feel welcome here. And we want them to, amen? There in the temple area, Jesus healed the blind and the lame. He preached in the temple. And in answer to prayer and supplication, he heals the blind and the lame. This is where we want to stay as a church. That this temple here and this assembly place has a great desire to see the spiritually lame and blind to come for healing. I mean, wouldn't it, we're going to read it in a minute. Wouldn't it be great if every Sunday somebody got saved? Wouldn't it be great if every Sunday somebody came in with you that through your testimony and your witnessing got saved this week? That this body of believers stay revived, that we might not hinder the lost from being saved. So the church needs revival. I want to tell you, the quote... Church in America, I've had quite a few discussions this week with this new guy. The, the, last, Barna, the last two Barna studies over three or four years has, has given us a sobering, a sobering statistic. And that sobering statistic is that probably only 6% of Americans are Christians. And the other survey that, that proves this <laughs> is that even in the evangelical church, only 6% of the evangelical church answer questions in such a way that indicates they have a biblical worldview. In America. And so, here's, what you, here's the picture you got to see. The majority of the evangelical church is lost. So, in order for those that are intermingled and operating as if they're saved or among us, those who are truly born again, their lives should be so radically changed that those 
lost among the church would get saved. And you want to know why the church is in trouble? The local church? Well, how about this? If only 6% in that local church are saved, tell me the majority that's running the church are what? Lost. And I would say from uh, the way that the evangelical movement is going and the virtue signaling on social media, that a bunch of those preachers are lost. Verse 15. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the, will, in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. We want this place to be a place of revival, prayer, spiritual healing, salvation, teaching, and praise. And, and, and as I'm reading that, four or five people came to my mind that haven't been here in four or five weeks. Listen, it is, it is not, it's not normal for born-again members of the church to miss four or five weeks in a row. The assembling together of the body of Christ is an important event. And we ought to take it seriously when we forsake the assembly. I think, I think there's a scripture that says that, huh? Do not forsake the assembling together as some are in the habit of doing. So with this cleansing, where do we start? Well, let me tell you where you, you, you start. You start in your closet. Wherever you go every morning to be alone with the Lord, that's where you start. You start with yourself. I start with myself. And I'm going to look at this in a minute with Tom and I and, and Pablo. So 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. Is there is there a better place to start? I can't find it. If my people, whose people? His people. You remember that scripture in uh, uh, Jeremiah 31, 33? I will be your God and you will be my people. Listen, if you are a Christian, he is your God without question and he will call you his people. So that's who he's talking to. He's talking to followers of Jesus. He's talking to those who are truly converted. If my people who are called by my name, Christians, listen to this, humble themselves. You know what that means? We admit that we're sinners. We admit that we uh, transgress the law of God on a daily basis. And we confess that we need fresh and continual blood of Jesus applied to us. We are sinners and capable of what anybody else is capable of. And, and to be able to say, God, how wicked I would be, how vile I would be if it were not for your restraining hand. Humble themselves and pray. Listen, a Christian 
will be a Bible reader and will be a person of prayer. And I'm not going to tell you every day, but I'm talking about regular prayer. Surely. Thinking about this guy right now. I don't know where he's at with the Lord right now. I think, I think he was locked up. And he got in the habit of when he woke up in the morning, he just fell out of bed and on his knees. That's a good place to start. That's a good place to end the day, huh? Morning and evening, on your knees, humbling yourself, saying, God Almighty, I need you. Did you know that's what you're saying when you get on your knees and pray to God? I need you. Morning and evening. That's a good place to start. Seek my face. We want to see, we want to see Jesus. We want God Almighty to reveal himself to us. And look at this next part. Turn from their wicked ways. What? His people would have wicked ways? But what does he want us to do? Turn from those wicked ways. Repent. Then look what he says. You want your prayers answered? I've told you all over and over about that 14, 15-year-old boy that called me one day and he said, Brother Bruce, I just, I just don't think God's hearing my prayers. I showed up at his house, knocked on the door. He came out the door. I said, listen, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why God's not hearing your prayers. You have been, you have been verbally and maybe physically abusive to your mama and disrespected your parents. And you think God's going to hear your prayers? Listen, you can't, you can't live in known and willful sin and continue to ignore the conviction of God and expect God to hear any prayers other than humbleness and repentance. John 9, 31. Uh, the the uh, Psalms is not coming back to me, but the John 9, 31. He does not listen to the prayers of unrepentant sinners except for repentance. What if he needed to pray? You going to have time to seek repentance? I hope so. Number two, as a body of believers, we'll start at the same place. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's where the church starts. But also there's a little mechanism in the church that called church discipline that if if people are not willing to repent of known and willful sins, that the church gets involved. Individuals get involved in individuals' lives, hoping that'll work. If that doesn't work, the church gets involved. In, in other words, you cannot ignore known and willful sin in your own life. Look, this church does not go sniffing out your sins. This church doesn't go around looking here and there trying to figure out you're living in known and willful sin. But when it becomes obvious to an individual member that somebody's living in known and willful sin, you're not to come and tell me. You're to tell the Lord, and then you're to tell the person. Begging for repentance. If they won't hear your word to them that they're living in sin, then you say, well, listen, I'm going to bring somebody else with me and I'm going to come and talk to you again. And again, you're begged to repent. If that doesn't work, then it's the responsibilities of the elders of the church 
to get involved because we are to keep the assembly of the believers as pure as we can without being legalistic. As elders, I, I truly believe that we have three elders that this is our attitude, whether we use the scripture every morning or not. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I believe there's three men trying to lead this church who wants to stay in a right relationship with the Lord. And you need to pray for us that we'll, we'll be under conviction, that we'll be repentant, that we can keep our temples uh, in such a way that we can lead the way that God would have us to lead. So, what do you want your elders to be doing? You want your elders to be devoted to prayer and ministry of the Word. And I think you have three elders that are devoted to that. And if that's the case, then we know that the Word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So your elders need to be praying people. They need to be repentant people. They need to be people who are constantly studying that the church might be built up and edified by their teaching. So the assembly or the temple we need to take care of this. We need to take care of the temple, the assembly place. Your elders need to be sure that... And you, what do you need to be doing for the elders? It's a no-brainer, right? Every day. We're to pray for you. You're to pray for us. There really should be more people praying for us than... Well, surely, there's more people praying for us than there's three of us praying for you. And, and I think if you really get serious about that, I think you're going to see difference in my preaching, Tom's teaching, Pablo's teaching. I really do. Either we'll get better or you'll change your attitude about us. Amen? Yeah, one of those two things are going to happen. So then what will be the fruit of this work? Well, have we not looked at the fruit of this work in this scripture and over and over? Okay, so the temple was cleansed. They became a house of prayer and people were spiritually healed. That'll be the fruit. That'll be the fruit when we're working seriously to keep this temple and this assembly place holy. This will be the fruit. Ephesians 4, 11. I think I asked you to turn there, didn't I? Okay. It was a, a large text that I didn't have room for in your notes. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. And, and then it gets really down to the local church. He gave shepherds and teachers for a reason. To equip the saints, you, for the work of the... Do what? Yeah, so... Really and truly, who's to do the work of the ministry from this scripture? The saints, all right? It's the elders' place to equip the saints to do the work. For the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ that it might be edified... 
until we attain, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, womanhood, to mature spirituality. We as believers are to mature as Christians. Well, that maturation process will include Bible reading and prayer and attending Bible study. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Listen to this. Rather speaking the truth in love. You remember what we began to look at a couple of weeks ago and, and, and Jeannie has been, been able to, to share this with, with, some of her, uh, with some of her family and we were able to talk about this at camp in the last couple of weeks. Listen. What, what did Alistair Begg said? What should be our attitude? Love everybody. Tell me. Love who? Everybody. Affirm no sin. You've got to speak the truth in love to do that. Matter of fact, that is the truth in love. Did, you, did y'all hear me? There is no love when you affirm sin. Did you hear me? There is no love when you affirm sin. Yet in this world today, if you do not affirm sin, you will be called some kind of phobia and you will be hated. Are y'all awake? Do y'all live in the same world I live in? It's just two or three minutes. But you really ought to watch the YouTube video of a California University Berkeley professor having a discussion with Josh Haley about womanhood and manhood. And she called him a transphobia because he said this, I believe only a man can have a baby. And she said, you are judging people? You are causing people to... Co- only, okay, can a man have a baby? The answer is no. Only a woman can have a baby. Are y'all with me? Okay, so, so he said, she asked him, he, he, she said, who can have a baby? He, you know, she said, can a man have a baby? And he said, no. And so she, she, she said, you are causing, you're, you're causing a trans people... Uh, to commit suicide. Yeah, that's what she said. One out of all five transing people commit suicide. And the reason they're committing suicide is because Josh Haley said a man couldn't have a baby. Really, it happens. A University of California Berkeley professor. So let me say it again. Love who? Come on. Love who? Everybody. Affirm what? No sin. That even means in your kids who are shacked up with somebody. You do not affirm it because if they don't repent and turn from that sin, they'll burn in hell. Now, how much do you love them if you affirm their sin? 
That goes for my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids coming. Rather speaking the truth in what? In love. And we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint by which it is equipped when each part is working properly. When each what? Part? In order for the church to properly function, every member is to be working their part. Well, you got a part. Can you define what it is? And listen, it is not to occasionally warm your seat on Sunday morning. We would like to move to Sunday morning Sunday school. In order to do that, it's going to take about six more teachers. We cannot make that move. Because there's two qualifications for teaching. Qualified and willing. Each part working properly. So in a five-man basketball team or a 12-man or 11-man football team, when the, the team's only as good as the weakest member, right? I got news for y'all. If you're members of this church, you've got a part. Praying, teaching, cleaning, working, going to camp, visiting folks, praying for folks, giving, right? If you get to be 85, we might exempt you. But what an example this guy sets. You know where he's going to be on Sunday morning? If he can get there, he's going to be there. Acts 2, 42 through 47. This is what the church looks like. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and fellowship. But, it, but it, kind of, it kind of makes you wonder whether you need any more new classes or not because the classes, you, y'all with me, the classes you have are not that well attended. You know, really, when Wednesday night busts over, we, we don't have room for everybody while we'll starting a new class, right? Same thing with kids' Sunday school class. Did y'all see that? Devoted themselves to the what? Well, hey, you don't have any apostles. The best you got is Tom and, 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 and uh, Pablo and Bruce and Russ and some other guys. That's the best you got. If, if that's not good enough, hey, listen, if that's why you're not coming here on Wednesday night, find somebody you can sit under for teaching. Listen, you're not so, you're not so well equipped spiritually in knowledge of the Bible to miss a Bible study when you don't have but one a week. And, and listen, your kids are surely not. Yet you are sending them somewhere that for six or seven hours a day, they're being indoctrinated in the ways of the world.
or won't get them to camp. These are not my notes. I probably ought to stick to my notes, huh? All right. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, the Lord's Supper, to prayer time. Look what happens. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who, did you hear this? All who believed were together. They had all in common. Listen, there, there shouldn't be a meeting of the church you don't want to be at. Look, once a year we have a little preaching conference on Saturday. I know people that drive all over the country or go here and there to a preaching conference, but we have one here and they can't come for three hours on a Saturday morning. There's something wrong if you're not hungry. There's something wrong if you don't want to hear somebody other than Brother Bruce. But, you know, I I know, listen... We are all busy. Matter of fact, we're too busy with the things of the world. And when we start cutting out things, guess what gets cut first? Things at the church. All of a sudden, I become too busy, too busy to do things at the church. And I promise you, there's not many of us here that are so busy with the things of the church that that's a problem. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had things in common. They were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And look at this last part. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's no telling how many lost people, if you can chunk a rock at all, that you couldn't chunk a rock to from your house. Lost folks. Unmarried couple over here at our house. Unmarried couple over here at our house. Woods is full of them. We out there knocking on the doors and witnessing to them. I really miss, uh, and I know his wife has got to be critically ill. Uh, You can say what you want to about uh, the guy out at uh, Open Door, Murphy. What's his first name? Wayne Murphy. That's a door-knocking guy. He's the only guy in town besides Jehovah Witness that knocks on doors. And I think his wife's critically ill. I haven't seen him in a while. We've looked at five things. They're they're in your introduction. The need to keep the assembly of the church clean, to keep the temple of God, which is our bodies, clean, that the temple, the assembling place in our body, may be houses of prayer. When that's what the assembling place is and that is what we're about, those that need spiritual life and healing are free to come for their spiritual needs and will not be hindered, that we should never be critical of those praising and honoring God. So privately we clean this temple. You've got your notes there. Hey, listen, this little acronym that we teach in Answers in Genesis is perfect. Adoration, acknowledgement. You know what the C is? I've changed it. It has been confession, but I changed it for this morning. Confession and cleansing. 
It's a time for personal cleansing. That's the second thing we do after we acknowledge who he is. The T, thanksgiving. What in the world, where would we start other than thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus that takes my sins away? At least we got that every day to talk about. And then seeking. Listen, church, there is a need for revival in our church. There is surely a need for revival in the local evangelical church. And we need an awakening. We need a great spiritual awakening among the lost. We need to be praying for that. It's the only thing that's going to fix America. Mid-term elections will not fix America. Only a great awakening. Often assembly together for growth. Going forth to pour ourselves, are y'all ready? Into our families, into our local church, into our co-workers and friends. We go to pour ourselves into them spiritually and corporately. We assemble, keeping this place a place of prayer, edification, teaching, preaching of the elders, and God-centered worship. That this place might be a place of revival, prayer, spiritual healing, salvation, teaching, and praise. For the glory of God, the exaltation of Christ, and the humbling of man. And I love this, and I pray this most mornings. For the advancement of God's kingdom through the local church. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word.